Hard Facts. Listening to Hard Facts on 99.3 Nigeria Info. I am Sandra Ezekwasili. Hopefully, the newsroom took you around the world in two minutes, and now it's time for the big hard fact. From now until six, I'm looking at one big issue in Nigeria today. How will government's cash crunch affect you and the war on COVID 19? Last week, we told you about government cutting the budget because oil revenues are falling. We also told you about them removing fuel subsidy, petrol subsidy, and tapping into the stabilization fund so that state governments can pay salaries. That brings us to today's big hard fact. The federal executive has proposed reducing the budget from 10.594 trillion naira to 10.267 trillion naira. That's a cut of 324 billion naira. It's only 3% of the budget. But most of the cuts will be from capital expenditure projects. The total capital expenditure in the budget is only 2.4 trillion naira. So these cuts are about 13% of the capital spending in the budget. That's a big deal. It's a lot of projects that won't be funded this year. But a lot of analysts are saying that this cut is not even enough. They're saying government won't make enough money to fund even this re- reduced budget. Because let's remember, in this year's budget, federal government expected to make 3.73 trillion naira from oil. That money was supposed to come from selling 2.18 million barrels per day at $57 per barrel. But now, oil prices have crashed. So we've reduced our budget benchmark crude price to $30 per barrel. That's a 48% loss. So our 3.7 trillion naira just became 1.96 trillion naira. But you know, end for them, government is now saying we won't sell up to 2 million barrels a day. First, they brought it down to 1.7 million. Now OPEC is selling us 1.4 million. That's a 36% drop. So our remaining 1.96 trillion naira just became 1.25 trillion naira. And even if you increase it to 1.5 trillion naira because the dollar is stronger, that's still 2.2 trillion naira less than what's in the budget. So where do we get this extra 2 trillion naira from? Where can government cut it from? And that's what we want to look at today. Chukudi. Don't, don't do that. 2.2 trillion naira. You know, be being so. At all, Sandra. There are big cuts ahead. Yes, huh? yes indeed, Chukudi. <laughs> and we have on the line somebody who can give us some insight into the cuts that government is making and help us figure out what government needs to do as it faces COVID-19 at a time of low revenues. He's the chief economist at Business Day. He's a big friend of the show. Nonso Bikili, welcome back to Hard Facts, Nonso. Hello, everyone. Uh, delighted to be here. Yes, like I said when I called you earlier on, happy quarantine, huh? Yes, well, <laughs> not so happy anymore, but we do what we have to do. Yes, indeed. The last time you were on, we talked about the oil crash. Now, let's talk about what government is trying to do to survive it. NNPC says subsidy slash under recovery is over. Do you think that that's going to be permanent or you think that um, when oil prices come back, uh, it will bounce back? 
Um, well, I hope this time is different. And I hope this time it's permanent. Uh, but, you know, the question of subsidy isn't really a question of subsidy. I know that's, uh, that's bad English. But it's more a question of price fixing. Okay. Uh, that when prices should go up because either crude prices have gone up or because exchange has changed, the government decides to not raise prices. And then you have this gap between the actual price and the price at the pump mm. that becomes the subsidies. So that's mm. the real disease, as I say. Mm. Um, and right now, crude prices are going down, which means four prices should be going down. And that movement of pricing down is always politically easy because everybody's happy with lower oil prices. Well, that's everybody right. mm-hmm. is happy with lower prices. Mm-hmm. But the real challenge is when prices want to go up. Well, we see the same, you know, rhetoric and the same price modulation when prices want to go up. Or will we see politicians do the thing they've been doing for the last maybe ten, five decades and say, wait, don't raise prices, we'll figure it out, and then you have a subsidiary judge. So I hope this time is different, uh, but we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait and see. Meliki Ari, the NNPC DG, said... The subsidy was encouraging smugglers to take Nigerian petrol across the border to sell at higher prices. He said subsidy cannot work because we don't know the actual level of fuel com- consumption in the country. Now, I've heard you make these very same points over and over. In fact, when I talked about it on the Big Three last week, I mentioned that we've talked about that. We've made that same point. Like, it felt like Miriki, I was listening to Hard Facts, right? So I've heard you make that point on this show and elsewhere as well. How come the federal government is just finding this out? Well, I mean, all the reasons why you shouldn't be having four subsidies are not new and they've been said over and over and over again. Um, on the one hand, it's a big waste of resources because you could spend money better elsewhere. Uh, you could spend money better on health, education, or even on direct cash to poor. Uh, and on the other hand, you know, if you have four prices that are lower than everybody else in the region, then four will get smuggled to the rest of, the, of West Africa. That's the most mm-hmm. fact. Um, so this, these issues are not new. Again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think he suddenly figured it out this week or this month. Everybody kind of knows this, but the question is the political will to remove subsidies or the political will to have prices that are flexible. Right. right? Because if you end up in a situation like we did in 20, well, we've we had that situation maybe three or four times in the Atlantic already, mm. where poor prices should be going up, but the government says, ah, no, we have election in uh, one month, we can't reach prices now, or ah, no, you know, people are suffering, we can't reach prices now. All of a sudden, those arguments of, you know, forced subsidies a waste, or people are smuggling, start to take the back seat. Mm. One of the reasons why we shut the border was because of forced smuggling. So, obviously, it's been known that forced smuggling has been an issue for a while. Mm. And it's been known that the cause of the smuggling is because of the price differential between Nigeria and the rest of ECOWAS, which mm. is because of the subsidy. So, this is not new information. The thing that is new is that crude oil prices have fallen so far that prices should actually go down now. And that is mm. politically easy to do. But again, the question is, are you going to be the same when prices should go up? Are you going to be as free and as flexible when there's a political cost to raising prices? That remains to be seen. Military does say that uh, even if uh, all prices go up, uh, the fuel price will stay where it is. But, you know, just as NNPC gets rid of one subsidy, the House of Reps seems ready to add another one. 
They're asking the power sector to give Nigerians free electricity for a little while, possibly subsidized by government. Do you think the government can afford it? Will the impact of such a discount be felt by the people and the economy? Well, so that's the symptom that the behavior is so the same, right? And NNPC might be singing a different tune, but the politicians are still the same politicians, they still think the same way. Mm. If you remember, the electricity prices should have gone up in April, mm. April 1st. But, you know, everybody said, oh, no, there's coronavirus, economy is suffering, blah, 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 blah. We can't raise prices now. Mm-hmm. And so you now have the same, you know, failure to increase prices when you should. Mm-hmm. There's a valid reason now, but the behavior is the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, can the government afford to give people free electricity for two months? Well, no, because we know what the government's finances look like. It's terrible. But you know that every time uh, we say this, every time we make this point, people point to the salaries and allowances of the lawmakers, not so. Look. So the solid analysis of lawmakers are an emotional issue. It kind of looks bad when you say government finances are really bad, but yet you're, you know, allegedly ordering, you know, hundreds of Toyota cameras. It looks very bad. Mm-hmm. But the entire National Assembly budget, I think if I'm correct, is about 150 billion or so. Okay. About, which is a very small part of the federal government budget, which is also a very small part of the budget if you include states and local governments. So just in terms of numbers, all the money that goes to the National Assembly is very small. So even if you cut it to zero, it will not fix your financial problem. Right? Mm-hmm. So now it's an emotional issue because, yes, if you're asking people to take a haircut, then you should take a haircut as well. Even if it doesn't change the dynamics, you should be leading by example. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's not you know, forget where the real challenge is. The real challenge is not with the money that's going to the National Assembly. Mm-hmm. The real challenge is elsewhere. Okay, but back to the point you were making. Yes, and look, we know that we're applying to the IMF for an emergency loan because we have no funds. Well, we have the uh, revenue profile is dropping, you know, by the day. We know that crude prices have crashed. We know that last year, even before this crude oil price issue, the government was already heavily indebted. I think last year we actually broke the fiscal responsibility uh, ceiling. Mm. which says you can't borrow more than 3% of GDP. We technically borrowed more than that last year. Mm. So the government is already heavily, in, you know, heavily is already distressed. Mm. And the last thing a distressed government needs to be doing is to be doling out cash. Uh, now, are there ways to better target people who need it? Let's not remember. It's one thing to give fair treatment to everyone. It's another thing to give fair treatment to people who are at the bottom of the pyramid and who could do fair treatment. So are there better ways to do that? Perhaps, you know. Although I would argue that in that kind of instance, it's probably give people the cash instead. I let them decide if they want electricity or if they want something else. Mm. Mm. Now, uh, it's not just the federal government that, it's in, that, that is in uh, fiscal distress, right? We've got states and local governments having problems as well. So the federal government is dipping into the stabilization fund to help them pay. Can you explain what the NSIA and the stabilization fund are for the person who doesn't know what these things are? Could you explain what they are? Okay. Um, so the idea behind the stabilization fund or the NSIA, the Summer Fund in general, which is run by the NSIA, mm. is that when all prices are relatively high, you should be saving something. Mm-hmm. But when all prices crash. Um, so, 
you know, if you think about when we have all these budget uh, talks, there's always the argument about what the, you know, crude oil price benchmark should be. Mm-hmm. The idea is that anything, uh, any income you get above that benchmark goes into a pool that you can save to use for a rainy day. Okay. Uh, and that pool now is the sovereign wealth fund. Mm. But you want the sovereign wealth fund to be sitting there in cash doing nothing. You kind of want to, you know, put it to some use. And so within the sovereign wealth fund, there are three funds. There's an infrastructure fund in which they put money into more medium-term infrastructure projects. Mm-hmm. And there's another fund, the name escapes me now. And then there is a stabilization fund, which is the fund that is more liquid, that is more in cash or securities, more instruments that you can sell very quickly and get cash if you need to. Mm-hmm. And so the stabilization fund is a part of the sovereign wealth fund and is designed for exactly this kind of moment where you have an unexpected you know, drop in revenue and you need somewhere to, you need something to, you know, use to, you know, get by for the next couple of months. So it's basically for a rainy day, precisely like, you know, today. Exactly. It's for the rainy day and this is the rainy day. So, you know, tapping the, sorry, tapping the installation accounts, installation fund, is exactly what the federal government and the state government should be doing because that's what it's there for. Hmm. The only issue is that this fund is very small. Okay. And, uh, I mean, they haven't published their accounts for the end of 2019, but there are rumors that it's around $450 million in there. Huh. Not, right? So it can only maybe get you through one month, maybe a bit extra. Uh, but it's not a large fund. You know, countries like Norway and uh, you know, other you know, big oil producers who have been doing this for decades huh. have huge civilization funds. Huh. I think I probably buy for a year or two if nothing huh. happens. Right? Huh. Uh, but we have a very small stimulation fund. So it's a very temporary solution. It can't get us for more than a month or two. Hmm. Uh, but in terms of tapping and using the fund, this is exactly the kind of time that we should be using that fund. Using That's that fund. You know, the federal government is also talking about cuts to the budget, a, a bit more than uh, 300 billion naira. But before I called you, I was talking to uh, a Lagos, about the fall in oil revenue, right? And I was telling them that um, the, the fall in oil revenue is much higher than 300 billion naira. That's between the the drop in benchmark price from $57 to $30. And the drop in projected output uh, from uh, 2.18 million barrels a day to 1.7 million or even 1.4 million if OPEC has their way. Is a 340 billionaire budget cut enough? So that's uh, no, but they don't have a choice. Let me kind of explain. Hmm. So last year, like I said, we ran a record deficit, which is the, we even broke the fiscal responsibility ceiling of 3% of GDP. Hmm. And that is because on the one hand, Revenues were growing slowly, even including $60 oil. But on the other hand, expenditure has skyrocketed a lot. So once you you know, pay salaries and once you service debts, you already have a near $6 trillion liability for the federal government. Mm. Which means that regardless of what it does, it needs to spend about $6 trillion plus every year, regardless of what it does. Mm. Uh, and regardless of what happens to revenue. Mm. Now, last year, at $60 oil and $2 million per day or thereabouts, we ran a big record deficit. So you can imagine this year where we, are, we have seen crude oil drop to 30 or thereabouts, and we now have to cut production. 
you can imagine what will happen to revenue. It's even uh, a more dire situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of how low crude prices have dropped, once you incorporate like uh, production costs, you know, the actual revenue you're getting from crude oil is, is minimal. Right? Because we have production costs of maybe about 25 to 30 a barrel on average. Okay. So you have prices that are thirty dollars a barrel too, then you need to be getting one of the barrel, which is very, very small. Right? So it's not just that prices are fallen, it's that prices are fallen so low that they are nearing the actual production costs. Hmm. Uh, but the federal government cannot come out and say we're not paying salaries. They can't do that. Right. The federal government cannot come out and default on its debt. Well most of that lot of that debt is owed is held by pension funds and banks and institutional investors. So if the federal government does not service with debt, that's creating a new crisis of its own. Mm. Uh, so in terms of what the federal government can cut, it's minimal. Right? Because those two items are non-negotiable. Uh, now, beyond that, what they've actually cut is they tried to cut about capital expenditure, about mm-hmm. 150. Mm-hmm. And they've cut some of the overheads and you know social programs like the Amnesty program and all that by about 150 billion and I think there's still room to cut more on that front uh, and I think in, in practice more will be cut because typically what happens is uh, if revenue does not show up then those capital expenditure items are the first to go so even though it might be in the budget if there's no money it will be done mm. but at the very least there's very little that they can cut simply because the amount that goes to salaries and the amount that goes to debt servicing is already way higher than revenue than the money that goes to everything else. And you can't cut that, right? You can't cut that without, you know, causing some kind of political chaos. Hmm. You might say you want to start people now during the coronavirus crisis. That would be political suicide, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, the federal government cannot default on its debts. That would be terrible also. Mm-hmm. So they seem right. to be so caught I'm not surprised the... that, that they can't, that the cuts are, you know, cosmetics. They have mm-hmm. to be seen to cut something. But in practice, there's little to cut. So how do we survive a recession if government is cutting money to projects? Well, that's the million-dollar question. I don't think there's any surviving recession. Uh, simply because we are part of the part of the strategy to deal with the pandemic is to limit economic activity, to limit movement, mm. which is we're probably going to end the recession anyway. Mm. But the question is, can we recover? quickly enough after the pandemic goes away. And given all the dynamics, I think we're going to find that we're going to find that a bit difficult. Just because there are lots of issues that were there even before the pandemic. We have record deficits even before the pandemic. We have you know currency issues even before the pandemic. We had border closures even before the pandemic and all the things are still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had you know inflation looking the wrong way even before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And, and so the path after the pandemic is where you know, there's a lot of uncertainty, but I think it's going to be very difficult. Mm. I don't think the question should be, should we avoid recession? I think that is a given because that's what we're trying to do to do with the pandemic. But the question mm. is, how are we going to recover mm-hmm. after we've dealt with the pandemic and after we've fallen into recession? 
Mm. And the last time you were on the show, you and I actually discussed the recovery path. And we'll talk about it again. But I want to stay on this pandemic bit for a, a, a moment. If you just joined the show, welcome. We're discussing government's finances. This uh, uh, pandemic is um, taking its toll, uh, for lack of a better term. And we have on the show with us the chief economist at Business Day. He's a big friend of the show, Nonso Bikini. And he's helping us make sense of some of the headlines uh, that we have come across lately as far as the economy is concerned. Now, back to the pandemic, Nonso. Um, we have this pandemic forcing us to spend on healthcare, right? Normally, you need to increase spending on healthcare. For example, during this lockdown, we should be increasing our hospital bed space, our testing capacity, our equipment, our personnel. But instead, instead, what you have happening is that government is cutting healthcare spending from 44.5 billion to less than 18 billion naira. So, is government in a situation where? It is now unable to fund the health care that we need to fight COVID-19. Um, well, first of all, so my mom said I should always say this. I should remind everyone that I'm actually a doctor. So, <laughs> I don't say. Oh, you're a doctor? Yeah. Like uh, a uh, medical doctor or like... Book no, 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 Economist, PhD. Oh, oh okay. Yes. Very important, apparently. Very, very. Uh, so, Dr. Nonso Bikili, yes. Um, in terms of, you know, the government's budget, so a big part of the health budget actually goes to salaries and overheads in the in the federal hospitals. And I don't think, of, but I don't think that part has been cut. I think what has been cut really is most of the capex for health. And you can kind of understand why, you know, some things can be cut. To think, to think about a simple example, if initially you plan to maybe build a, you know, big cancer center, for example. Mm. Uh, and now you've been hit with this crisis. You can say, well, we're going to scrap that, move that to next year, move some of the funds to dealing with this pandemic, mm. uh, and then, you know, move forward from there. So you can have scenarios where the overall health budget is cut, but, you know, there's still a lot more money going into fighting the pandemic. Uh, um, I've, been, I've been following the NCDC, you know, uh, website, and I mean, we've been in, increasing the number of labs, increasing the capacity. We've been hopefully purchasing, you know, lots of uh, PPE. Mm-hmm. Uh, the issue of personnel is a bit more difficult because you cannot buy doctors. Right? Yeah, you yeah. Doctors, that, that takes a long time. Um, and so, you know, it's going to be very difficult to just quick, very quickly add to the number of medical personnel we have. Uh, but I think, in general, the government is spending a lot more on health with regards to the pandemic. Maybe a bit less on other issues in the healthcare space. But with regards to this pandemic, I think there's a bit more. And from what I understand, you know, that's the number one priority. So every any moment the first thing we do is is, you know, okay, what does the health what do the health guys need first before we then you know try to figure out everything else. Mm. But I have to ask, why is recurrent expenditure so untouchable? You touched that a bit, you know, and talked about the politics of it and the people and the outcry. But surely, no, so there must be um, some fat to cut in recurrent so that we can protect healthcare spending. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, simplification of this recurrent issue. But mm. if you look at the details, 
what is actually recurrent revenue? Recurrent expenditure, sorry. The largest part of it is salaries to soldiers and police and other security personnel. Mm. You can't really argue to cut that, right? especially given the Nigerian context today. Mm. We know we have, I mean, there's always room for improvement, of course. There's always room for efficiency gains. But we don't have nearly enough police. We don't have nearly enough soldiers. And we can't afford to be sacking soldiers and police now. Mm. So that is uncuttable. The next second largest item is education. University professors, lecturers, people in politics and all that. Again, it's difficult to argue that you should be cutting that as well because technically that's an investment in education. That's an important long-term investment. Mm. And after that comes healthcare personnel. That's the third largest item. And again, you can argue to be cutting salaries of, of doctors and nurses and you know lab technicians and all that right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, right? Uh, so there's a question where we break it down to just you know, we need to cut, rec- cut recurrence. Because of recurrence is necessary spending. Right? You can't avoid it. Because you must have soldiers, you must have police, you must have health doctors, lawyers, sorry, not lawyers, we don't need lawyers. Uh, you must have <laughs> nurses. <laughs> you must have nurses, you know, lab technicians, you must have all that. Uh, so it's difficult to cut all that. There's a lot of agencies that are useless that can be done away with for sure. But that will give us some improvements. But even if we did that, you could probably argue that we need to channel that money towards more doctors, more police, more uh, lecturers, more teachers. So it's not clear that it's not really clear why we should be cutting recurrent expenditure. We want to spend better in general, but it's not always that means always spending more capital expenditure. And if you look at it, yes, so it is. Healthcare is hospitals, some of it is, you know, uh, roads, rail, some of it is that. But a lot of it is crap, for lack of a better word. A lot of it is private jeeps and computers <laughs> and all these random things that technically count as capex, but really sometimes make no sense. Right? So when we're talking about spending, we need to dig a bit deeper into what is actually spent on. Should we spend more on education? Yes. Should we spend more on health? Yes. Should we spend more on security? Yes. Should we spend more on infrastructure? Yes. Should we spend less on power jeeps? Definitely. Right? Um, and that's where we are. When you listen to people in government not so, or you listen to a lot of analysts, they keep talking about oil prices eventually rebounding. Can we rely on that? I mean, the whole world is about to slip into recession. Historically, recessions keep oil prices low, Right. Is an oil rebound on the cards this year? Uh, well, there's a popular like uh, joke in economics that anybody who tries to predict oil prices is probably a fool because oil prices are one of the most unpredictable prices we can imagine. Mm. Uh, but, you know, if I'm a betting person, I would say it's unlikely that oil prices recover this year. Okay. Clearly because there's some sectors that even if we were the pandemic would not recover very quickly. Think of travel, for example, which is a fundamental part of demand for crude oil. Okay. Even if the pandemic ends today, people aren't going to jump up and start traveling around the world, right? Mm. Mm. People are going to be nervous. You're going to say, okay, let's wait a while, wait one or two years, continue to to be sure. Yeah. It'll take a while before the transport sector, the air travel sector recovers fully to where it was, you know, uh, where it was a year ago, for example. Hmm. which means there's going to be less demand for crude oil. 
And if you think of just the way people's work has changed, one of the things that has become obvious now because of this pandemic is that working remotely is actually very feasible for many industries. Which means you're going to have permanent shifts in vehicle work, shifts that will not return to the way it was before. Right? If you figure out how to do things remotely, then just because the pandemic is over, it doesn't mean you're going to go back to forcing everybody to come to work. Uh, again, so yeah, you, you might have these permanent shifts that again imply that you know demand for for crude oil might not recover to the levels that it was before. Okay. Right. So there's all this uncertainty around how the world will look like post the pandemic, uh, and much of that is negative for crude oil prices. Okay. Now, of course, you could have you know another kind of OPEC type deal in which everybody cuts production a bit more, and that could raise prices you know further. That could happen, mm. but. You know, if you cut production and raise prices, you get a bit more revenue, yes, but not as much as mm. before. Mm. So I think any strategy of trying to rely on oil prices recovering to save us, I don't think that's a useful strategy. Mm. And remember, even last year, when oil prices were $60 a barrel on, on mm-hmm. average, mm-hmm. it still wasn't enough, right? Mm-hmm. And we still had that big record deficit. So mm. I think the time to think beyond oil is here. I mean, it has been here for a while, but... But you don't reach, you don't reach. You know, when I listen to when I listen to the business and economy experts like my colleague um, Tunji Andrews on the Money Business Economy Show, they keep saying that um, the OPEC Plus deal will help relieve our situation a little bit. Could you explain uh, what is happening at OPEC Plus right now? Could you explain that? Yes. So there was a very big collapse in demand for crude oil and that resulted in prices starting to free fall and OPEC decided to try to get everybody in the room to try to agree on you know some cuts but there was a disagreement and the disagreement resulted in everybody kind of dispersing and Saudi Russia essentially decided to pump as much oil as possible which meant that you now had on the one hand a collapse in demand, but at the same time, a, a rapid increase in supply, mm. right? Which was a perfect recipe for prices collapsing even further. That's and right. I think there were fears at some point that prices might collapse even to negative territory, right? Mm. Uh, which is technically possible. Um, that would have been horrible. And so the oil price deal, the new deal that was struck in a couple of days ago, which right. essentially brought Saudi, Russia, the U.S. kind of playing a role and right. other OPEC members back to the table to agree on some cuts. As kind of, you know, at least for now, we think it has helped stem the tide in the sense that, you know, there's not really as much fear that oil prices will continue to collapse back into the 10s or the 5s or even negative. Uh, there's a lot more, you know, consensus now that, you know, there's enough cuts, there might be enough cuts to kind of prevent that from happening. Mm. It could mean that because of, the, because of the cuts, prices will start going back up. No one mm. quite sure because you dealt with the supply problem partially, okay. but the demand is still there, right? A lot of countries are still essentially in lockdown or social distancing mode, which means the demand for crude oil is still at record lows. Um, but at least it means that, you know, all prices may not fall to the negative territory that people are fearing at some mm. point. Mm. <laughs> 
so my final question for you, and then we'll let the listener uh, call in. I'm sure they are, they're, you know, raring to go and talk to you. If you were calling the shots in government right now, as Dr. Nonso Bikili, what decisions would you take for our fiscal position? Well, um, on the spending side, I need, I think you need a spending freeze, at least. Well, that, what does that mean, a spending freeze? It means no new hiring of people. This is not, not just across the federal government, across all you know, government agencies. Mm-hmm. No new kind of you know spending plans are approved. You need to cut a lot of things that are useless. Not useless, but are not necessary, like travel and trading and all the kind of things that are generally in the budget. Mm-hmm. I think first thing, you need to do that. Uh, second, I think this is probably a ripe time to have a bigger discussion about tax reform. And I think one of the things that can be proposed is a federal personal income tax. Okay. Um, now, we have a lot of issues with tax compliance, especially okay. for personal income taxes. And that's because there's no coordination. There's very little coordination across states. Mm-hmm. We don't have a national residence register where mm-hmm. everybody where everybody lives. So we don't know who's actually liable to pay personal income tax in what state. Uh, and if you look at the amount of taxes, amount of personal income taxes paid as a function of GDP, Nigeria is way, way lower than even other African countries, which means mm-hmm. that there's a lot of participation. And one of the things that you can do is to have a personal a federal, a federal personal income tax I kind of add that coordination role on, to, on the one hand to, you know, change the incentives uh, around compliance and to create that coordination that can allow, you know, more compliance and more revenue flowing. Uh, that's just, you know, one potential reform that you can implement. It doesn't cost money to implement legislative reforms. It just costs political capital. Um, another thing you can do to kind of incentivize, you know, um, Tax collection at the state level is to you know maybe create something like a uh, what's it called derivation fund for corporate income taxes. Okay. So FIRS has the capacity to go after the big companies, you know, the MTNs, the visible companies, mm-hmm. but the random, you know, small businesses. It's very difficult. Okay. To actually enforce compliance. Mm-hmm. Can still do a better job, maybe, but only if they have an incentive to do so. So something like uh, you know derivation for corporate income taxes might be useful in boosting compliance. Mm. Um, uh, and of course, there's all sorts of other kind of non-state actors that break a lot of taxes that don't make it into the official government revenue. Some states have done some work to try to harmonize their tax laws, but many states are still lacking. There's still a lot of taxes that flow to all the non-state actors who may or may not deliver public services, but who are not accountable to anybody. Um, and so some reforms tackling that might be useful. Uh, but this is the best time to try to think of all those long-term, all those medium to long-term changes in the tax structure that can actually shift Nigeria away from depending uh, on to mm-hmm. actually broaden into tax base. Okay. Also, the era of crude oil is kind of ending, not in, not in terms of global use, but okay. in terms of the use for the Nigerian economy. Hmm. Um, in the 70s, the crude oil sector was maybe 40% of GDP. Hmm. So if you collect taxes from that, that's a lot of taxes. You collect only 10% of GDP in taxes, just mm-hmm. from the crude oil sector. Mm-hmm. But crude oil is 10%, 9% of GDP. So even if you collect 
80% of the value in the cruise sector, you only end up with about 6% of GDP or 5% or so, mm-hmm. which is still right. So the era of crude oil as the sole source of government financing has kind of ended for Nigeria for sure. Mm-hmm. But the question is, can we transition to something else? Well, that's a political decision, but oh. uh, this is the best time to try to think about doing that. Try to do that, okay. All right, let's in the interim, uh, if I cannot add on, in the interim, you uh-huh. know, the IMF is a great place to go to for emergency funding. It might come with some conditions, but most of those conditions are not things that are particularly bad. So, you know, we can seek for an emergency package while we try to figure out how to reform our tax structure. Okay. All right. Let's uh, talk to Lagos now. 0700-993-993-993-0700-993-993-993. WhatsApp is 080-959-75805. Dr. Nonsobikili is on the show with us. He's the chief economist at Business Day. Who do we have on the line? Hello. 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 Good afternoon. Politician now. Sorry about that. Let's try and get uh, somebody else on the line. Hello. Okay. Sandra is. Uh, Sa- San- Sa- President Sandra. Um, I-, I think we should just take a short break. When we return, I'm sure that we would have fixed the phone lines and we'll take as much calls as possible. Hi, Chukudi. Welcome, Welcome back, back to Hard Facts. Welcome back to Hard Facts, 19 minutes to 6 p.m. Sandra is on the phone with Dr. Nonso Bikili. Interesting conversation as regards the Nigeria economy and COVID-19. Sandra. Hello? Hello, Hello President. Please turn down the volume of your radio set. Okay, I've done that. What is your name and where are you calling from? My name is David. David, speak to President Sandra. I'm you can also ask questions. Yes. I salute the President. Go ahead. Um, I also say hi to the guest. And I want to put this to him. That uh, over the years... We have been saying overhead cost is the economic problem of Nigeria. And now, from his analysis, he's trying to say we don't have a shortcut to servicing debt and this overhead cost. So, I want to, I want us to let us know what is worrying Nigeria. We just have to take a very hard measure to break through in our economy by dealing with these uh, overhead cost. And one one of it, one of it that I can say right here on radio now is that sorry, these are politicians. I can hear you. Go on. Okay. These uh, politicians that always live large with our resources, 
they are performing the same work with the civil servants. So we can do away with the politicians and let the PAMSEC take the job of the politicians so that we can have money to spend on, on very serious and necessary things. Like if we try to actually divert a lot of resources and encourage Nigeria people to agriculture, that is where our strength is. Hmm. As a people. So you're confident that if we diversify and focus yeah. on agriculture, we are going to yeah. be better off. Yes, we are going to we are going to occupy a lot of people, create hmm. jobs for a lot of people. Hmm. So all this we are just deceiving ourselves all the time, bring some economic towns, and we see all these politicians, you know, living large, and nobody can do anything about it. Hmm. All right, thank you very much for your contribution. He says our politicians living large and nobody can do anything about it. He's also making a case for agriculture. And I guess he's saying if in the past we have invested in agriculture and we were better off for it, why not go by the way of agriculture? Several messages on WhatsApp. I'll take some and then head back to the phone lines. I'm very certain that, you know, you have questions for Dr. Nonso and Sandra Ezequesili. Um, this contribution is from... Um, CJ, CJ says what happened exactly to all the money we have been saving during the oil boom and how do we hold people who have recklessly mismanaged it responsible he says in addition to the tax reforms what about healthcare, educational and industrial employment sector reforms, the next message is from Lolade Lolade says uh, is this economic analysis in tandem with the COVID-19 we're looking at the Nigeria economy and how we would be better off uh, um, post-COVID-19. Um, Timothy from OA says, thank you for bringing your guest. May I ask, why don't the government cut frivolities like security votes, medical travel expenses overseas for government officials, cast for the legislators, 36, $36 billion renovation of National Assembly Complex, ETC? Um, Timothy asking questions. Um, Olaide Cruz says, I'm, I'm less concerned about all the government all this government and the revenue. What happened in 2018 and 2019 when there was no virus? The guest said the fund going into House of Reps or Senate is nothing. How about all the constituency allowance budget every year? Should this not have been cancelled outright? Senate or Reps do not need to do any projects. Their main function is to provide better public laws, not running constituency projects when we have state and local governments. Now, President Sandra, I would let you, um, I would let you um, listen to all the questions and we would, you know, have Dr. Nonso reply or respond to these questions. But we're asking, very important, what do you think about government's money troubles? What do you want uh, Dr. Obikili to explain to you about the current economic situation? The emphasis is on every Nigerian participating in the process, asking the questions. Governor Lidia as well will say, it is not my business. Uh, anything they want. I have divine insurance. I am protected. Nothing will happen to me. It's important that you listen to the experts and begin to ask the hard-hitting questions. While I wait for you to prepare, I'm going to read some more messages on WhatsApp because we have loads of messages on WhatsApp. Uh, this message says we should ask Dr. Obikili that why can't they cut the legislative, the uh, monies earned by the legislative and the executive and other unproductive agencies and unnecessary 
government spending. He says, since we all know that our workers in the education, health, civil institutions pay is small as against the bogus pay of those in the legislative and executive. Hard-hitting questions. Um, okay, it is bad enough to be without health or without home or without articulate leadership or to be on prolonged lockdown, but it's far worse to be without food or money or further or still further worse to be without Christ. I think he's trying to pass a message uh, about salvation. Okay, this next message is from Otuonyechinedu from Orile Igomo. He says, the palliative government said they are doing. How are they doing it? They should credit people's accounts instead of making the rich richer. Otuonyechinedu, I know that you have heard our experts discuss the situation and he's provided insights with respect to how we can get out of the difficult situation that we are faced with. And we're asking, what do you think about all the troubles with respect to the money that government earned? And we're asking you what you would want Dr. Obikili to respond to. I'm going to head back to the phone lines after I take a couple of messages on WhatsApp. Remember, text your name and where you're calling from so that we would know and we would get your question before we throw to Dr. Obikili. Uh, this one is from Onye Kachi from Lekki. He says, can the guest give us the percentage internally generated revenue represents such as those from customs, FIRS, and other agencies? I guess we would mark this question and Dr. Obikili will provide the answer. Uh, this one is from, oh, several people discussing about Nigeria's economy and talking about what must be done to see that we get out of our difficult situation. Timothy says, again, many have called for restructuring. Many have called for restructuring and more independence for the states so they can develop the minerals in their states. But the president has consistently refused. Again, can't we cut off one of the national legislative bodies? I think he's talking about downsizing in government so that we do not expend our resources on what some people feel will not benefit um, Nigerian people. One more message on WhatsApp before I head back to the phone lines. Um, okay, everyone should go back to the farm because crude oil has fallen in the hands of Nigerians. Nigeria must survive and pay our politicians minimum wage. Simple. Yemi from Otter. Thank you very much for your message, Yemi from Otter. I'll take some more messages. Or I'll take some calls before I wrap with messages on WhatsApp. Hello. Hello, Chukode. Good afternoon. What's your name and where are you calling from? Good afternoon. My name is Austin. I'm calling from Maryland. Austin from Maryland. Go ahead. Yes. Um, I've, I've heard uh, the guest. Thank you very much, Sandra and uh, the speaker. Then, uh, Chukudi, one thing I want us to know is that uh, if government is serious, we can get it right after the COVID-19 problem. You understand? Uh, they have to stop this uh, paper lying, economy is this, we are in this, this, all those kind of things. Let them go back and sit down and put people that I know about economy, that I know what to do. Let them put them in place so that we can get this Nigeria move forward. Thank you. We should get the experts, and these are the people who would help us move out from the difficult situation we are faced with. Hello. 
Hello, sir. Good afternoon. What's your name and where are you calling from? Good afternoon. This is Mr. Victor Christopher from Akute. Mr. Christopher from Akute. Go ahead. Yeah, please, uh, I just want to keep something in for what is going on now in Nigeria. Please, uh, the federal government, the senators, the presidency, all of them, they are enjoying enough. The only thing for me now, because there is no anything, nobody going out, everybody be at home. Let them do something. Everybody has gone for us. Let them do something. Let them do something. It's enough. It's enough. Eh? Or they want everybody to go and start beating the bush, robbing people. We hope it will not get to the level where people will take the law into their hands. Hello. Hello, Chukudi. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. What's your name and where are you calling from? Yes, my name is Belo Usman. I am calling for Orile now. You're welcome, Belo Usman. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Honestly, this is only COVID-19 that federal government of Nigeria and state government cannot handle it. How if it's COVID-20? Just, I don't know what, I don't know why the federal, federal government of Nigeria don't care about the, 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 the welfare of the, the citizens. Okay, I can tell you now that the number of the patients of coronavirus that, that died is lower than the, the number of the people that federal government have killed during this uh, sit at home. Because so many people have, this hunger have made so many people sick and they are, they are, they, through that sickness they die. So what are they talking about? They are talking about sharing food, sharing money. Even some say that there's no lockdown. They are benefiting from this, that Lagos and Ogo have federal capital territory. What are we talking about? Federal government of Nigeria should do something quickly before it will get out of hand. All right, he says the federal government of Nigeria should do something quickly before matters get out of hand. Hello. 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 Good evening. What's your name and where are you calling from? This is CY Lajabariga. How are you doing? CY from Lajabariga. Welcome. <laughs> Happy New Year's. <laughs> I see why you are this guy on Instagram. First off, you know, I used to enjoy your comedy. Thank you. Come on. Welcome. Uh, yeah. yeah. My guys to everybody in the studio. Thank you very much. To, to, to me, we should move away from this, our democratic system. If you watch Sweden, they are telling America that we can shut down our economy. But, but we introduce distancing, social distancing and all that. And it's working for us. You don't do follow, follow. Our follow, follow here is too much. How will you have state house of assembly? Federal house of assembly. All the states in Nigeria has assembly. House of assembly. You now have states. You now have house of representatives. Hmm. So when they now do the budget, how is the money going to get to the people living in Oshobi? Living in uh, somewhere in Ogun State, it will not get to them now. So what we are running is a paper economy. We should try to change things and come back to an economy that will benefit, you know, the common man in each local government. How can we achieve that? We should close down all these states, so, how would I call it, House of Assembly, <laughs> and use only as of web. I don't know, they call it by Canada legislation or something like that. Use only as of uh, representative, take away the Senate. All these ministers of state, take them away. Reduce your, how will I call it, your expenditure. So that you have a lot, a lot of money, you know, to do capital projects. That's the problem Nigeria is having, you know. Hmm. We keep talking from today to tomorrow. It's the same thing. 
Now oil price is down. They are looking forward to the cost. That is not going to solve our matter. Hmm. Only the modern economy, we should be able to know how to reduce our spending so that money can get to everybody. Thank you, God. All right, thank you very much for your contribution, CY from Elijah Bariga. And indeed, everyone that called into the show or that tried to call into the show, it's been an engaging three hours all the way from the big three at 3 p.m., down to the big hard facts and the interesting conversation that Sandra Isaacwesley had with Dr. Obikili. It's important that we look at Nigeria in the future and consider ourselves as stakeholders in the process of nation building and national development. We must be concerned with all the issues that affect us in our country and do all that we can to see that our representatives are held accountable. When we contribute our quota would make Nigeria a better place for everyone to live in. I'm going to proceed on a short break thereafter. We'll have the news at 6 p.m. Afterwards, conversations with Rufai. Please do not go anywhere. Keep listening to 99.3 Nigeria Info because this is the only place where you talk. 99.3 Nigeria Info. We'll be right back.